0: Welcome back to the Woven Well podcast. Today we're doing another 101 class on a topic that I've received lots of questions about, both over the years through my fertility care work and over the past few months on our Woven Fertility Instagram page. And I understand why. Just wait until we get into all of this. If you have questions about PCOS, you will soon understand why you are not alone. And hopefully this episode can be a solid place to start in understanding what it is, and what treatment is available. If you'd like a visual copy of this information, check out our PCOS 101 resource at wovenfertility.com resources. So let's start at the beginning. What is PCOS? It's gone through a lot of definitions since it was first discovered in the early 1930s. You may have heard of one, you may have heard many of them over the years, which can add to the confusion. We know that androgen excess is key, but how important are things like polycystic ovaries, what the syndrome was actually named for? What about ovulatory issues? What about symptoms you have that are typically associated with PCOS? Can you have some of these things without the others? Is the condition one specific thing or more of an umbrella term that can cover a lot of ground? The most up to date explanation of PCOS describes it as four different categories that cover a broad range of possibilities. These categories are called phenotypes, and it can be helpful to know which one you fit in if you've been diagnosed. You could be phenotype A, which means that you have hyperandrogenism, ovulatory dysfunction, and polycystic ovaries. Or you could only have hyperandrogenism and ovulatory dysfunction without the polycystic ovaries. That would be phenotype B. Or maybe you have hyperandrogenism and polycystic ovaries, but without any issues ovulating. You'd be phenotype three. Or you could be phenotype D, which means you have no issues with hyperandrogens at all, and you just have polycystic ovaries and ovulatory issues. So it's not only one very specific thing, but still there's a decent amount of debate about the definition itself and even these phenotypes, which are still considered fairly young in the medical world because they were developed in 2012. They're still studying these to see how effective are they, and they're really still determining if any of them should be PCOS or classified as a new condition possibly. For years, one thing that's been pretty consistent about PCOS, though, is hyperandrogenism. This is when a woman experiences an excess level of androgens, which are certain sex hormones like GHEAS or testosterone, and we aren't able to find another cause for this excess. Because there are other conditions that can cause high levels of androgens, like having too much prolactin, called prolactinemia, adrenal hyperplasia, which is often a genetic condition, thyroid disease, etc. But when an identifiable cause can't be located, it often finds its way under the umbrella term PCOS. A lot of the time, although it's not 100%, when you have these high androgens, your body will start to show you some symptoms of that extra hair growth maybe on your face or your chest, abdomen or back, issues with irregular cycles and anovulation, weight gain, hair loss, etc. Other times, you won't notice many or any of these. And sometimes you can have some of these symptoms, but they're not being caused by an excess of androgens. So it's understandable that it would be confusing to know whether or not you have PCOS. Add to this confusion the actual name of PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and you double the confusion. The condition is named after one possible symptom you may have, which is the abnormal growth of many tiny follicular cysts each cycle instead of just a few that can mature and possibly ovulate. But that is only found in one out of four women with PCOS. And the fact that you can have polycystic ovaries here and there in your life, even when you see them on the ultrasound, and still not have PCOS, it really is no wonder that there are so many questions about it all. So let's set aside the symptoms for just a minute, because I think too much focus on the common symptoms alone is where we get this false image of what PCOS quote unquote looks like. We look through the list of symptoms on WebMD and we think, oh, I couldn't have PCOS because I'm not overweight, or I must have PCOS because I am overweight. When there is no particular weight or weight category required for a PCOS diagnosis, you can have a low body fat percentage and have PCOS. You can have a high body fat percentage and not have PCOS. Weight hair growth, acne, even polycystic ovaries. These are not what define PCOS. They are simply common symptoms. If you listened to our endometriosis 101 episode, you heard how although painful periods are a major symptom of endometriosis, there are many, many cases of silent endo where no pain is experienced at all. It's the same situation here. The root cause can be present even if the symptoms aren't. And PCOS doesn't usually look exactly the same, even in one person's lifetime. She could start out without any symptoms, but develop them over time if the condition goes unchecked. In the same way with treatment, symptoms and androgen levels could improve. So instead, let's focus on what your doctor may evaluate for you when looking at your reproductive health as it relates to possible PCOS. First things first, they'll want to do a basic hormone profile at the start of your cycle, typically three to five days into your period. This lab work will show levels of androgens like testosterone and DHEAS, as well as your ratio of LH and FSH. There should be a very specific ratio here, but it could be reversed if you're dealing with PCOS. And if you'd like to learn more about any of these major female reproductive hormones, be sure to go back and listen to our basic series, especially the episode on hormones. They also may have you do an ultrasound during the follicular phase of your cycle to look at any ovarian production and to evaluate the size of your ovaries. Your fertility care practitioner can help you identify when that time of your cycle is. They may ask you to have a glucose tolerance test to assess how effectively your body handles glucose and insulin. There is a strong relationship between PCOS and insulin resistance, both of which may increase your chances of developing type 2 diabetes at some point in life, so it's worth getting it checked out. They'll request a copy of your cycle charting to identify the health and timing of your ovulation and any other possible contributing factors. Instead of simply knowing if you check the box for PCOS, they're trying to get a comprehensive view of your overall reproductive health. Because even if you do have PCOS, it's not a one-size-fits-all diagnosis. We can tell that from all the different categories or phenotypes associated with it. Individualized treatment is really important for your overall health. And I'll be honest that the topic of PCOS itself can sometimes make me feel a little bit on edge, and that's because there's just so much misinformation out there, and I hate seeing how detrimental it can be to women. I've met so many ladies who have been told, you know, your PCOS is caused by your weight. If you just lose weight, none of this would be an issue. Or you have PCOS, so IVF is your best course for having a baby. Or, you have PCOS, no big deal. We'll give you clomid and make you ovulate. Or, there's no need to treat PCOS if you're not interested in having a baby right now. None of these statements are helpful or accurate. Weight alone did not cause your PCOS. IVF is never your only option, and PCOS is absolutely worth treating, regardless of whether you're hoping to achieve a pregnancy or not. So let's get to the treatment. What can you do about it? And here we have some good news, which I know we're ready for. (laughs) For most forms of PCOS, you can do a lot to improve it. So let's go back to the androgen issue. If your body is a rock star at making androgens, then it's gonna become about helping your body to learn to regulate this production. The most basic available way is through dietary changes. Like really? Your nutrition can affect your reproductive hormones? It is wild, but it can't happen. What we eat, when we eat, and how we eat it can actually make a big difference for PCOS specifically. And that's because androgens are a part of the endocrine system. The endocrine system sends out hormones in order to regulate specific organ function like the thyroid, adrenals, and reproductive system. When one of these hormones that it sends out is too high or too low, it may affect other systems like maybe the body's metabolism, which then keeps a negative cycle feedback going. For instance, if you had high levels of the hormone insulin, it may affect your reproductive system ability to turn androgens into other necessary hormones your body needs like estrogen. This leads to an excess of planol androgens, which then affect your insulin sensitivity, the other system that's associated with it. Insulin resistance then prevents androgens from converting to other necessary hormones like estrogen, and we're back stuck in a cycle there. So balancing what we eat, both in terms of things like type of sugar intake and the quality of balanced nutrition can play a significant role in both our short-term improvements and long-term health with PCOS. And you can find a lot of amazing information out there on balanced diets, but here's my advice be careful what you take to heart. Look for long-standing, stable education on well-balanced nutrition and skip the fads. There are so many out there. There are so many accounts that call themselves PCOS experts that are saying all sorts of stuff. If you're able, work with a registered dietitian who can create a specific plan for you and help you achieve your goals. Insulin resistance, which I've mentioned, is common among the PCOS community, and so treating it as early as possible can help reduce your risk of cardiovascular disease and type 2 diabetes. And dietary and lifestyle changes may be enough for you, or it may be beneficial to begin one or more medications, the most common being metformin. Find a trusted doctor that will investigate a full picture of your health and help decide what's the best course for you. Not only for right now, although that's important, but also for your long-term health and well-being. Some women will also choose to undergo a surgery called an ovarian wedge resection to help with excessive PCOS symptoms, especially if one of those symptoms may be infertility. Because the success rate for pregnancy with this procedure has been as high as 66%. But there are also medicinal routes, including ovulation-inducing drugs like Femira, Letrozole, um, or Clomid, and they can help you ovulate if that is a need for you. Um, This is where a thorough conversation with your trusted medical provider can be most helpful. But listen, these are not the only treatments. There are extremely helpful supplements. There are additional approaches. There are other medications. We simply can't go into them all because, again... The treatment is an individualized approach. And maybe that's the biggest takeaway from this PCOS 101 episode, which is that this is not just a condition with one main symptom and one main treatment. So find yourself a supportive health team who values how your specific body functions and are willing to investigate the full picture of your reproductive health to improve your overall quality of life. You definitely don't have to be stuck in this journey alone, but also, you can play a really important part. The more you understand about how your body works, the better you can advocate for yourself. For instance, if you strongly suspect you have PCOS, but you're told you don't have it simply because you don't have polycystic ovaries on an ultrasound, Go ahead and ask for an early cycle lab draw to check for your androgen levels. Bring in your cycle charting to show how late you're ovulating or the possible signs that you're not ovulating at all. You now know that diagnosis isn't based on one ultrasound alone. And if you've been diagnosed with PCOS, you can make changes today that can begin to improve your symptoms, evaluate your sugar intake, learn about balanced nutrition, begin mild exercise or walking 30 minutes a day, drink lots of water, get at least seven hours of sleep. These things may seem basic and they are, but they can make a big difference in balancing our hormones and improving our health. And that's our goal for you at Woven Natural Fertility Care and through the education we provide on this podcast. So I do hope that this episode has been informative and helpful, even if it may not be as black and white as you once thought. Notice also that I've mentioned nutrition a few times in this episode because it can play such a big part, but I am not a registered dietitian or a nutritionist. So please do not get your dietary advice from me or anyone else who is not one of those things. So next week, we're going to have a registered dietitian on the podcast to talk specifically about how nutrition can help PCOS, and we're going to provide additional resources from there. So if you'd like the key takeaways from today's episode in a visual form, remember there is a PCOS 101 resource at wovenfertility.com resources. Thank you so much for listening today as we continue to explore together what it means to be woven well.